Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, hosted by Angel Radcliffe. Tune in as we discuss finances, success stories, and inspiring vibes that will help hey, nurture growth. Hey, hey, welcome to growth. the podcast. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Teray Holmes, who is a lifestyle enthusiast, real estate agent, author, and speaker. Welcome, Teray. Hey, Angel. How are you? I'm good. And you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for the invitation. Been dying to get on your show. I know. So long <laughs> overdue. Absolutely. So for the people who are listening, Teray and I met six years ago, was it Teray? Six years ago. Uh, I think so. Yep. Six yep. years ago. On social media. And I always tell people it's so amazing how social media can create these connections of people who you are building these amazing relationships with, whether it's in business or it's friendship or uh, whatever the common interest is. Teray and I have a book together, uh, which stemmed from social media. Yes, yes. It was like pulling teeth. <laughs> we had, we came together, met on social media, came up with this. We started doing our, our, our weekly conversations. You have a business now what? Remember? Yes. And there were about four of us and Andrea Hintz Evans, IP attorney, Carla Jones, beauty business extraordinaire. And we were like, hey, we need to do a book around this. And so <laughs> we birthed that book. It was hard labor. <laughs> so we'll have to give yeah. some tidbits on the book, but why don't you yes. go ahead and um, introduce yourself and tell us a, a little bit more about you. As you said, I have Teray Holmes. I'm a lifestyle enthusiast, which means I love all things lifestyle, home, travel, home decor, food, and all of those great things. I own a, a lifestyle brand called Lily and Eve, and we are a lifestyle brand for women with style and grace. And as I mentioned, all of those things about home and travel and all of that, but we also curate curate gifts. That is our main focus. We curate gifts and we curate events and travel excursions. Can't wait for the world to get back to a little bit of normalcy so we can get onto our first adventures overseas. But I was a classroom teacher for many years and I was an entrepreneur simultaneously. I've lived overseas. I've traveled all over the country and outside of the country. I just absolutely love sharing my experiences and sharing what I love about food and travel and home with uh, people. And I'm a real estate agent. It blends right in. And I focus mostly on real estate investing. So I work with investors, helping them to buy and acquire properties and teaching people how to wholesale real estate. That's the brand that we are building, loving, and just really welcoming other people into, into our tribe. So would it be accurate to call you more so a Jane of all trades? Oh, I, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I like to call myself a multi-passionate person. Okay. I have multiple passions and I like to refer to it. I do real estate for a living and I do lifestyle, the lifestyle brand for passion. And I've been able to really tap into my passions and create streams of income from them. And real estate is also a passion of mine, but that gives me bigger paychecks. I've been fortunate enough that God truly blessed me with a lot of gifts and I don't take that for granted. And for a long time, the reason why I don't particularly care for the Jack of Jane and Jack of all trades is because for me, it, there's such a stigma attached to it, but I like to Consider the fact that I have multiple gifts that I've been blessed with and that I try to use those gifts to create uh, income streams for myself. And over the past, I would say, year or two, I've been able to really hone in on that and to better, better curate what my business looks like and, and how I do business through, through my gifts. I love it. I think one of the things that draws me into you and maybe vice versa that builds our relationship is that we both are focused on multiple streams of income and we're always thinking of new ways to uh, make money or build upon the brands that we have or the businesses we have and we always ideate and I enjoy those types of friendships because it's the brain rolling and I remember yes. calling you a few times and you'll say something and I'm like wait a minute that's a really good idea <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Or I would call you and say something and when you're talking about your main the main things that you do the real estate and the lifestyle luxury 
what is it that really drew you to those particular areas? Like I said, they came from my passions. I grew up, so my business is called Lily and Eve, and it's named after both of my grandmothers. And I, I was saying to a friend today that the world is being introduced to Teray Holmes through Lily and Eve. And essentially that means through my grandmothers. My grandmother, Lily, had nine children and she had nine children before the age of 30. So my grandmother, Lily, had 40 grandchildren. She had nine children and she and my grandfather, Bob, they were able to really amass for themselves. And I saw them, Lily worked for the Cleveland Clinic in the uh, OR department and, but she ran businesses on the side. She used to cook. So she would cook and bake pies and cook dinners and sell them. And my grandfather, Bob, he had a trucking business and all type delivery service. And he didn't even have an eighth grade education, but he was able to, at the age of 40, he opened up his own trucking company because he used to work for other people. He opened up his own trucking company. And at the age of 40, he decided, hey, I'm going to do this for myself because the people he was delivering to, they started saying, hey, Bob, if you ever open your own company, I'll give you the business. So he did that. Back in the 80s, when there was no social media, he was able to earn $1,000 per day income, sending out other drivers to do these deliveries. And he had, and he was the business owner. So I grew up watching Bob do that. And that's what sparked my interest in entrepreneurship. And I grew up watching Lily, who had a regular job, but had this side business of selling cakes and pies and dinners. And they were able to buy several pieces of real estate. And so my passion for business came from Lily and Bob. And my passion for cooking came from Lily because Lily with 40 grandkids and nine kids, she, we had Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner and Sunday dinner at her house every single week. And she was an amazing decorator. Lily also would, she would literally charter buses. So you can only imagine with 40 grandkids. She would charter buses and we would go on family vacations. We would go on family, family reunions and we would go to the church would have an event <laughs> because Lily had so many grandkids. We couldn't get on the bus with the church people. So sometimes she had to charter a bus for her grandchildren. So she exposed me to travel. And then my grandmother, Evelyn Eve, is the one who exposed me to the really finer things in life, like fine dining. So Evelyn and I would go out to dinner and we would, that's where I learned how to go out to dinner and put my napkin on my lap and eat, eat with the right utensils and all of that. And she was the one who also gave me my love for travel because as a lap baby at the age of one, she took me on my very first plane ride and we would go every year we would go and we, we would go to Boston and Cape Cod and all these different places to visit family. And sometimes it was a road trip and sometimes it was by plane. So when you ask me where did these multiple interests and businesses came, come from, they came from Lily and Eve. They came from Lily and Evelyn. These women just really exposed me to so much. And when I decided to create the business came from, I think we've talked about this, but the business came from an initial plate, which is called the blessing plate. And that was the very first gift that I curated for Lily and Eve. And it's a family heirloom plate that comes in this beautiful packaging, this beautiful box, and it's words in which I literally wrote myself when I was going right after I went through my divorce and I was trying to figure out what product can I create that I could create some residual income for myself for. I wrote the blessing plate as a poem and it just says, I came across a little plate that always gives and never takes. It passes love from place to place, from city to city and state to state. And it goes on and on because it's this gift that when you buy it, you're able to take that gift and you're able to pass it on so you can re-gift it. So it comes in this beautiful box and it's for re-gifting. And I wrote that poem sitting at Lily's dining room table after she had passed away the year before from ovarian cancer. And I was living in her house during my separation and ultimately after my divorce. And I'm sitting at her table at one o'clock in the morning, trying to think of something to pull myself out of this situation 
that I found myself in after divorce, really strapped for money, not having a job, like business suffering, all of that. Out of that, out of that despair came this beautiful blessing. And I named it the blessing plate because Lily was such, both of them, Lily and Evelyn were such, they were strong in their Christian Christianity and their belief and their faith. It's just funny. It has all just come together and the world is being introduced to Ray Holmes through Lily and Eve. Nice. It seems as though through your grandparents and through family family members, you picked up these traits of entrepreneurship and now uh, moving into the business of Lily and Eve, when we're looking at the blessing plate, in my opinion, that's your spotlight or your main product, the one that's always being showcased when I'm looking on social media. But are there other products that you offer under this brand? Yeah. So we have original art from an artist called Warren Styles and He's a young African-American artist. So we have two of his pieces that sell very well. And then in addition to that, we have original wine coasters that have really cool sayings on them. We have masks. Our masks sell really well. We do a sequence mask. We have a couple of variations of the sequence mask. And then we are moving into digital products because, because Lily and Eve is about lifestyle we're going to be creating digital products that are really about wellness, personal development, digital products, the power of forgiveness as a digital course that you can take. Just all sorts of digital tools that help women to become better, better for themselves, better for their communities, better for their children. So different digital courses and, and uh, workshops that we're going to be creating. So those are some of our main products right now. The Blessing Play is signature. Our, our art is signature. I think we uh, showcase that quite a bit as well, but the digital products are what we're moving towards. And then we have some new artists coming on too with some new art. So just really excited about how it's all coming together and the people who are supporting Lillian D even supporting, we have a lot of repeat customers repeat customers. <laughs> so that must mean we're doing something right. When I look back, you know, at our customer log, it's some of the same people and then new people, but our repeat customers are just so faithful. And we're starting to do events. And last night we did a poetry jam, a love poetry jam, where we donated the proceeds to an organization called 12 Literary Arts that teaches poetry and playwriting to primarily African-American youth. So we're starting to do events as well to really get the brand out there, but to really give back because that's what the business is founded on, the idea of blessings and giving back and building community. Multiple streams of income. I love it. So transitioning (laughs) into this topic, we see that you are well-versed on this multiple streams of income focus, which I am always a proponent of and telling people you need to have a different source of income other than your regular job, or even if you are an entrepreneur, think of other ways in which you can create a product, a service, a brand to really amplify what those revenues are. So let's take a look at someone who is working in corporate America And I do consider corporate income a stream of income, but there's absolutely, there's so many people who never look to really follow their passion or Mm -hmm. do something that they're good at or utilize their skill sets to create another revenue stream. They have this mentality of, oh, I have a job or if it's not broke, don't fix it. What Mm -hmm. would you tell someone listening today who is in corporate and this is their sole source of income? but they're very talented. They have other things that they can do as far as creating a product or service. How would you guide them to get started? Well, the first thing is really stressing. I can't stress enough. If 2020 didn't teach people anything about the fact that one source of income is simply not enough and that you could be out of work just in, in, a, moment, in a moment's notice. And in addition to that, The fact that so many people, even with their one stream of income, they're also depending upon other people's income. So say, for instance, if they're married, they're dependent upon their mates or their spouse's income. And a lot of people lost their jobs. And even when they didn't lose their jobs, they lost substantial amounts of money in the stock market. The first thing I would say is to really consider this idea that I'm comfortable on my job and if it's not broken, don't fix it. The idea that you never know when it's going to break, you never know, because some people who thought that what they had could never break found themselves in very broken situations. That's the first thing. But 
I would say start small, start with something that you are passionate about. I know for me, over the years, I tried to do a whole lot of stuff. And some of those things I just simply wasn't passionate about. And I am finally at a point as a brand where, and as a business, where I'm doing the things that I'm passionate about, because if you don't do things that you really enjoy, or let's just say, for instance, you start a business because there's a need, that's fine. But within that need, also make sure that it's something that you enjoy, because there are so many, as you and I both know, there's so much to be done in a business, the marketing, the branding, the human resources, the, the finances, the books, the bookkeeping. If you find yourself with a, a new business or a new venture that you don't really love, you can get burned out really quickly. So I would say start small, start with something that you're already good at or something you have an interest in. And I would say you don't have to know everything about it. There are so many courses out here to teach you. I was talking to my cousin yesterday and we were talking about the fact that there, no, actually, I take that back. I was talking to you about this whole idea of trucking businesses, right? So many people are starting these trucking businesses and they don't know anything about trucking and they may not necessarily be passionate about it, but it's an easy enough business to, to jump into. And there's so much information out there right now teaching people how to do the business. And then in addition to that, I have another colleague who she and her husband in Atlanta they, opened, they bought a laundromat. So they bought one from someone and then they refurbished it and started marketing it and they're killing it in that business. Even if it's not something you're passionate about, it could be something that people just need and, and you're not working in the business. You hire somebody to run the laundromat or you hire people to, to work in the trucking, your trucking business. So those are the, the big tips, the, the first tips I would give to anyone who's working in corporate thinking about doing something else. Ooh, I also want to add on someone who has a particular area of expertise and a skill, they can break off and do speaking engagements and workshops. And this goes back to this whole multiple streams of income of utilizing yes. your skill sets. Of course, that's something yes. both that you and I do. Um, and I don't think people really look at it that way as we're, if they're in corporate. No. I've heard and I want to add to that. Uh -huh. What you just said about multiple, about the speaking engagements and writing books and such, they can also, if they're in a corporate corporate, the corporate world, excuse me, they can also look at creating a course around something that they do well. So right. if you're in a nonprofit, you run a nonprofit or you own a nonprofit, you can literally create a course to teach people how to start a nonprofit. And that can be an income stream for you. And do you know how many people come to me and say, Teray, can you teach me how to start a nonprofit? And that's not something that I necessarily want to do. And even though I've studied nonprofit management, it's not something that I necessarily want to do. So you can literally teach a course and prepackage it and automate it and teach people how to start a nonprofit so that you're working your regular corporate job as a nonprofit leader, but you got a course out there just making money for you. Right. I always like to say what comes easy to one person does not come easy to someone else. Absolutely. We, what comes easy to us, we may look at this and say, why would someone pay me for this information? This is really easy. It's simple to do. So you have to look at the value you can provide other people because everyone is exposed to something different. So someone who's very great in accounting and finance, you also have people who are not so great and they don't really understand. So you can always find a customer. Right. Absolutely. Because I was talking to a friend literally this morning and she has a business. She was asking for some help. She was just asking me to walk her through something in her business. And I gave her the information that she needed. We spoke on the phone for maybe about 45 minutes. And at the end, I said, well, I charge people for this. And I said that because I wanted her to be clear that the information that is this in my head is worth a price. Okay. And when we started the conversation, it didn't start out with her. We started out very casually, but we almost got into this coaching conversation where I was coaching her through something. I say that because everyone knows something that someone else needs or wants to know. Some advice that was given to me when I hired a coach some years ago, they said to what is the one thing that people come to you the most for and ask you for your advice, ask you for advice. And I told her, I said, today I've been on the phone with two friends 
who were asking me for advice in their business. And I was on the phone for hours. And she said, that's the thing you need to start charging people for. But when you first asked me the question about the corporate people, I thought about businesses outside of their corporate functionality, their functions. But, but even within, so say for instance, a corporate person who knows how to cook, they could start a little class cooking or whatever. But when we talk about taking what you already know, what you already do with ease, that's already connected to your current business, you think about coaching, coaching people or being a consultant. So some people in the corporate world may call it more of a consultant as opposed to coaching. So think about that as an income stream. Then think about creating a course around something that you specifically know as an income stream. And then thinking about speaking engagements as an income stream. And then think about creating resources. So say for instance, there are resources that people need. So let's just say people need templates for, I don't know, in the nonprofit world, People might need a template for, for a, a SOP, standards, a standard operating procedures. And you can create a template for that, but they can use that and create their own operating procedures. So just think about, and you can sell it. You think about what you're already doing and what people come to you the most for and how you can package it and create different income streams from, your, from yourself. That way, now your business is streamlined and your different income streams are more streamlined and you're not necessarily going so much outside the box or going into other areas wherein you don't have expertise in and you may have to learn some new skills in order to start that business. No, these are things you already know. If you're listening to the podcast, you might want to rewind that back and take some notes because Teray just dropped some gems. And I think this is the perfect time to plug our book. Yes. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, Teray and I do have a book together. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Upfront and Entrepreneur's Quick Start Guide the perfect book if you're looking to start a business or if you're already in business and you're trying to find these different points to build upon such as business credit, business strategy, marketing, nice book to keep in your back pocket. Teray, do you have anything to add to that? No, I just think that the book itself is a great tool for anyone getting started in business and or for those people who are in business already. And perhaps you just didn't do everything to, you didn't cross your T's and dot your I's when you got started. So this is a great time to go back and to retake a new look at your business and perhaps readjust some things. And the business credit component is really great. The, the marketing uh, component is great. And even if you're not working your marketing in your business, there are things that you still need to know about marketing. Because, and the reason why I say that is you always need to be thinking about thinking about your business from a marketing standpoint. So if you're out at events and if you are the face of your business or your brand, you should be taking pictures or having video shot so that you can use that to go back and market your business. And if you, if you don't think about it in that way, if you think, oh, I have somebody who does my marketing. Yeah, but that person's not with you every time you go to an event, every time you're speaking on a Zoom, every time you're sitting in a clubhouse, they're not with you. So if you have either you doing it or someone, your child who lives in the house with you or your spouse, have them recording you, give it, getting some footage of you in action on a Zoom call, you in action doing a consultation or a coaching call. So that way that becomes your, your receipts and you can use that for your marketing and your branding, particularly for your marketing. So that's what I would, would add uh, to that in terms of the book. That's how it can help you to really think about your marketing, think about building your business credit and think about some other components that you may have missed when you started your business. Definitely. So I'll add a link to the book in the description of the podcast. And if you're interested, go ahead and check it out online. And just moving forward, Trey, I want to move back to this real estate topic because real estate is always one of those businesses that's rapidly changing. And mm -hmm. looking back and on to 2020, which was a very tumultuous year for many, what changes have you seen in that real estate market over the last year? Definitely, there's not a lot of inventory in the marketplace. And for one, it's because some people are still afraid to say, to let people into their homes. They, so realtors have to really assure people that they can do that safely. And there are a lot of guidelines in place for realtors to do that safely. So we're not having as many open houses. People are having virtual open houses as opposed to open houses where people are walking through the door and freely walking around houses. That's not really happening. In addition to that, what we have seen is that investors are out there 
investors are looking for properties because investors, they still have money. So we went through 2020 thinking that everybody lost, but everybody didn't lose. And if you think about this with different eyes and you see it through different eyes, everyone didn't lose in 2020. Unfortunately, too many people did. But if you're looking at, so what I do is real estate wholesaling and I teach people how to real estate, how to wholesale real estate. If you're looking at investors, there are many investors who have money to, they got money burning holes in their pocket and it's burning holes in their pockets because I just said, not a lot of inventory. So what real estate wholesalers do is we go out and we seek that inventory. We go out and we're in the ugly house business. So we're going to look for those houses that are, that the average home seller can't get sold because the house is falling apart and they don't have the money to invest in it or the house was in a fire and they don't plan on rebuilding it or, or, or rehabbing it, or it's just in a distressed situation. Someone inherited it and they don't have the money to fix it up or they don't want it. And there are still houses in the marketplace, but it has forced realtors to really think outside the box to go find inventory. And it has definitely brought about a lot of wholesalers like myself. I'm a realtor and a wholesaler. So I walk work on both ends, but it has definitely had wholesalers out there really looking for those deals. And wholesaling is a business wherein we are helping sellers. So if you think about it, not only are we helping sellers, we're helping communities. So if you have community where you have all of these houses that are an eyesore to the community and they and we bring investors in to buy those houses, that revitalizes a neighborhood. And when that revitalizes a neighborhood, that also puts money in a in a homeowner's pockets that they did not have. They're paying out taxes. They're paying because the city is fining them for grasping too tall and all of those things. We're helping homeowners, but we're also helping communities be, become revitalized and putting just putting um, the beauty back into community. So we definitely are saying that. But of course, the other thing that we're saying is that we're seeing very low, astronomically low interest rates. This is the time for people on the pretty house side and the residential side to start to buy property. No better time than this time to, to buy property if you've ever been thinking about it. Interest rates are super low. There are a lot of programs out there for people who that don't have as many restrictions um, as we once had because they want to bring money back into the economy and they want people buying and they want people buying homes. So we're seeing that. And because interest rates are low, I would also encourage people to, to also consider buying investment properties because this is just, it's just a great time. The real estate market has changed a lot. Fortunately, what we are going to see in the next couple of months, my colleagues and I, other investors, we've been talking about it. We're going to start to see a lot of people losing their homes. And the thing is that you don't have to. If you know a real estate wholesaler, they can get that home sold for you. So let's just take uh, an example. If you own a house that's worth, say, $500,000 and you've paid it down and you only owe $150,000 on it, that means you have $350,000 worth of equity in that house. If you go into foreclosure and you lose that house, you lose all of that equity. You're literally giving your equity to the banks. So why would you do that? So it's better to sell the house at a discount, make some money, pay the bank their 150, and you walk away with, say, maybe $100,000 in your pocket. It's better than what you would have walked away with had you not sold it. That's These are just opportunities. So if we think that everyone lost in 2020, then we don't see the opportunities. But if we look at what the opportunities are for ourselves, and then we can, then this is a winning season. I looked at 2020 as a winning season. And this is COVID has created so many opportunities that if you keep your eyes open, if you ask questions, if you do your investigation, there are so many opportunities all around us. Ooh, that's a word. And let me clarify because I don't really understand wholesaling. When I'm driving down the street, you'll see the signs on the corner that says, we'll pay cash for your house. Is that the yep. wholesaling people? <laughs> yes. I'm yes, always wondering are, what the heck is going are, on. Okay. So just so everyone who's listening, I think that's a re very good way to reference because I see those signs all the time and I'm always wondering, what are they talking about? Yes. I used to think the same thing and now I'm in the business and I'm like, oh. 
there's a sign wholesaler. So there are different ways that wholesalers acquire properties. Either we can search for vacant properties. We can search for tired landlords. We can put signs out. Those are called bandit signs. So we could put out bandit signs. I don't do that. There are a whole host of ways that you can find properties. You can do expired listings. I teach people how to find your properties, how to have the conversations with sellers and how to get those deals. But yeah, that's who, those are wholesalers. Those are investors, wholesalers and investors, because a lot of investors will put them out too. But basically the way in which it works is that if you work with a wholesaler, you're talking about a property that typically you're having a hard time selling. And a wholesaler basically is your middleman that finds that property for you. And they don't, they get paid by the investor, the end person, the end buyer. The beauty of it is that you don't have to pay a realtor's fee and they're not selling your house. They're basically negotiating with the end buyer being the investor and the investor is paying them for the contract. So if I put it under contract with you, there's something in there that says that I can sell my contract. I can, I can, not sell it, but basically sell the contract. So I'm not selling your house. I'm selling my interest in the contract. I sell that to an investor. Um, the investor pays me and you get paid exactly what we agreed upon. So what I love about it, and I think that helps us. So I work with homeowners all over the U.S. So I don't care where you are. If you got an ugly house or a distressed property or a hard to sell property or something you need to sell quickly, we don't like, we don't do houses that are fixed up. And we will do those if you have a house that is in a decent shape and you're about to lose it, we will help you with that too. Because there are some other uh, programs that we have for that or other options, I should say. But but in this case, we're basically getting it under agreement and, and you get paid and you don't have to pay a realtor's fee. And we don't have to, you're, you're not going to get haggled on the price. Meaning that if I put my house on the market with a a regular realtor, when those buyers come in, they're going to, they're looking for stuff. They're like, okay, the flooring is peeling a little bit. I don't like the paint color. Oh, and I'm going to have to paint the whole house. So that starts little things. They're looking for all kinds of little things. I like carpets. So I'm going to have to change the carpet and put down hardwood floors. The, how old is the furnace? How old is the roof? Okay. The roof, I'm going to have to replace this roof in five years. So when they start to do all of that, they're starting to look for reasons to go down on their, on your their price to you, right? If you're in a market, I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland. Houses are selling for above asking price in my market. But if you're not in a market where prices, where homes are selling for above asking price, you're going to have to negotiate and you're going to be in a situation where buyers are going to offer you less. What we do is we don't charge you. You don't get, you're not charged a realtor's fee. In addition to that, you're not charged closing costs. So we pay for the closing costs as well. So you get exactly what we agreed upon and you don't have to keep renegotiating or going down on your price. All right. So let's take a look at the traditional home buying process. And for someone who's coming to you and they're looking at a home, let's say the person has done well with saving and they are just very adamant about paying cash for a home versus mm-hmm. obtaining a traditional mortgage. What are your thoughts on that? Cash is king. That's my <laughs> thought. Cash is king. The person who has cash means that we don't have to wait three, six, eight weeks for, for it to close. Mm-hmm. The closing process takes long because of the method in which the house is being uh, purchased through. So it has to go through, if I'm getting money from a bank, that bank has to do their due diligence. That bank has to do appraisals. That bank has to make sure that that I'm credit worthy. They got to check my credit again before closing. They have to make sure I didn't lose my job. They have all of these due diligence things that slow up the closing process. If I'm paying with cash as king, we could close tomorrow. You go out, do your appraisal, do whatever it is you got to do. We could close in five, 10 days, 10, 15 days. That's why, so that's why buying a house with cash gives you a greater advantage because that home seller is saying, dang, I want to close fast. And cash always closes fast. Mm -hmm. So the person who closes in cash always has an advantage over the person who has to get a loan. So that's number one. I'm looking at this more of the person who has cash, the advantage that to them would be okay, I'm able to get into the home a little bit sooner. I can skip they get some a better deal processes. Oh yes, the better deal and skipping out yes. on fees. Yep. Okay. 
great. Yep. So I've always wondered because I meet people and they'll say, oh, we pay cash for our home. And I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm from a financial standpoint, I'm trying to weigh the advantages and disadvantages because if you have that much money saved up to purchase a home, I'm thinking, wouldn't the, the money do better in the stock market? It would get yield a better return versus paying no. interest on a home. 3% interest rate. I think we've gotten lowest, what, down to 2.5 over the last year. And now mm-hmm. you have a 2.5 interest rate and you have 400,000, 500,000 that you're going to pay cash for a home for. Wouldn't you yield a better return to put that into the stock market or, or some type of So listen to this. Yield 8 to 10% returns. So let's think about this. Let's think about over, uh, let's think about comp- compounded interest. How much I'm really going to pay for that house when I'm done paying for it. Let's think about the fact that I'm not going to get a better price for the house because I didn't pay for it in cash. So all of the money that you then lose, perhaps over time or in real time, because you choose to use a loan when you have cash. The reason why I want you to think about that, because then think about this. Once I pay for the house in cash, I have immediate equity. All that money is my money. Now I can take that money and then I can go do some of those other things I wanted to do anyway, because that money is already immediate equity in my house. And not only is it immediate equity, I'm not going to lose money over time. I'm not going to spend more money over time for this house because with compounded interest, a $100,000 house could turn into a $150,000 house, right? So I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to lose that money. Uh, from compounded interest over time. And in addition to that, I'm going to pay less for this house because I pay for it in cash. So money stays in my pocket. Now I own the house free and clear and the things you can do with the house free and clear, come on. You can leverage that house now to go and start a business. You can leverage that house to, to invest in whatever it is that you want to do. So there's leverage. It's not once I pay my money in cash that that money's not, that money's yours. And you can, and if you're, and if your credit is great and all that, it's just like what you're saying, then the interest rates are still there, but now I'm just using, I'm using my money and I've saved money over time and in real time. Mic drop. <laughs> so to right. I'm over here looking for the, the microphone, like on clubhouse <laughs> so I can tap it and get the class. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm spending too much time on there. I'm like, where's the button? Oh, man. (laughs) All right. People don't. I I didn't study math. I used to teach math and I was excellent as a math teacher. But even people who are in the financial world don't really always, they think so technically, right? And my brain works more logically. Okay, do you, I really see bigger pictures. When I see cash, I'm like, that's my money. That's my equity. I can do what I choose to with my equity. This is not the bank's money. This is my money. Okay. So thinking about traditional real estate and wholesaling, are there steps that someone should take before they contact you for their home that's going into foreclosure or on the other side, someone who's getting ready to purchase a home? So for someone's looking to purchase a home, I am licensed in the state of Maryland. However, actually, this is funny. You should ask. So someone called me this morning to ask me, they need a realtor in St. Croix. They're about to buy a vacation home in St. Croix. So what I can do for them as a realtor is that I can make a referral, a very strong referral, give them maybe two to three people they can interview and they can choose someone based out of my network. So I, so I really am a connector in that way. So if they're looking to buy a house anywhere, literally in the world for real, but in the country, in the world, whether it's an investment property, a second home or whether it is a first home, if they're not in Maryland, I can't service them, but I can refer them. So I have a very strong referral network. So that's number one. If they're in Maryland, we would basically do a buyer's consultation or a seller's consultation. So I work with buyers and sellers, buyers or sellers consultation. And what was the last question you asked? I'm sorry. So the, the steps someone so, would take before contacting it in real estate. Oh, so this, yes, that's a great. Okay. So the steps that you would take if you're purchasing, if, if you are, of course, we would, I would assume you are needing 
to finance. So if you're needing to finance, you need to get pre-approved first. And if you need a, a lender to pre-approve you, if you don't want to go through your bank or sometimes people want to use brokers because brokers can find them different um, lenders, right? That's a broker's job is to have different lenders that they work with. I would say reach out. If you have a strong connection with your bank, do it through your bank if that's what you choose to do or go through a broker who's going who's gonna to be able to give you multiple options in terms of finding the best and the right fit for you in terms of a loan. If you need help with that, they can connect with me on Instagram. I have information in my profile and my bio where they can actually uh, connect with, a. I can connect them with a broker. I have some brokers who work nationwide. I have some brokers who work just geographically, but that would be the first step. And some people say, well, my credit is not so great. I don't think I'm going to get approved. That's not your job to say. The job is with the broker, the lender. They're the ones that can tell you if your credit is good enough for certain loans. So for instance, there are some loans where the minimum credit score is a 660. And for some people, they may say, that's not a great score. Well, guess what? That can get you, I believe that can get you into an FHA loan. And that only requires three and a half percent down. So let's just say you're buying a house for $300,000 and three and a half percent is what? A little under... $10,000. So that, that'll get you into, and that's a government-backed loan. And what happened during this crisis, this COVID-19 crisis, is that many of the programs that had government-backed loans, they the government doesn't want to fail. So the government created all types of incentives and programs to extend people's loans and to pay their loans. And I have a colleague uh, in particular who got a, a loan for a, uh, she got an SBA loan and bought a mixed use building where she stays upstairs and has a mixed, has a event space downstairs. And that SBA loan, of course, is a government backed loan. The government, they gave her three months, I think it was three months or more of free. So yeah, so that's what you want to do. You want to reach out to a mortgage lender because even if you're not ready, they're going to tell you how to get ready. You don't know how to get ready. They're going to tell you how to get ready. And one of the things I want to mention, Angel, is a misconception that people have about their realtor knowing their business. Because sometimes you may want your realtor to be your friend to be your realtor or your someone from work to be your realtor who may be a real estate agent on the side. And you may think that I don't want them in my personal finances. We don't get that information because that's not our lane. Our lane is selling a house. We turn that over to the mortgage lender, the, the lender period. And the lender just lets us know what you're qualified for. But the lender doesn't tell us, oh yeah, they had, they didn't pay their bills during this month and they had a bankruptcy or they had this. That's not our business and that's not our lane. So you just re be rest assured that your friend as your realtor, your colleague as your realtor won't know about your personal finances when you're looking for a home. Those are very good points to make because I've met so many people who are interested in purchasing a home and they may not have the best credit. And let's say if they have a friend who's an agent, they're afraid to use their friend because they're like, I don't want this person in my business or yep. knowing my income or knowing my credit. So yep. I think that's a great point to touch on. Absolutely. That's not information that we would know. They don't tell us that. Once again, I'll reiterate, if, you, if any of the listeners, if you're out there and you're looking for a realtor and you don't have anyone in your network or you don't trust anyone in your network or you, cause it's not always a good idea either to work with your family and your friends because your family, your friends may not really listen to you. Um, Ooh, I learned the hard way. <laughs> yes. They're going to, they, they think they know you and, and they think that they can, it's unfortunate, but sometimes they think they take for granted the relationship and they're not as professional with you as they are with their other clients. Maybe you don't want a family member or friend. Now, do know you're going to piss your family and friends off. Definitely. Do know that. I'm still and here. So I'm still here. You're going to hear it. And But here's how you can help your family and friend. That let's just say, for instance, you choose a different realtor. You can give your family or friend the referral. So if you're in a city and you're like, okay, I have a family or friend member that I'm not going to use them. And I don't know how you phrase that, but you could say, my, you, you could, it could be like, Hey, oh yeah, my husband has this guy who's a really good friend of his, or we have this neighbor who we've been talking about getting the house with for a long time. We're going to use them, but we but we ask them to give you the referral fee. You can do that. You can do that. So that you can keep peace and it don't take nothing from you to break off your family or your friend. 
and it creates they you got to know your family or your friends you got to know them but that is an option that is something that you can do like i have a young couple that i'm helping in la and los angeles and they're looking to actually i helped them buy their house here in the virginia area now they're looking in los angeles and they're like we want to give you the referral and i have people to come to me all the time like that i want to give the referral to you so can you recommend an agent to us and that's what i do those are great tips to write. And I appreciate having you today or you being here. I appreciate you being here and sharing all the knowledge. I know we are nearing the end of the podcast. And before I close out, I always like to ask my guests three questions in relation to the title of the podcast, Milestones, Motivation, and Money. So mm-hmm. tell me when you're ready, like a game show. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I'm just joking. So I'm along with it. Start with question number one, which is, what do you consider your biggest milestone? Wow. Wow. Oh, Lord. Professionally, personally. It can be anything you want it to be. Oh, my God. One of my greatest milestones. I think one of my greatest milestones is that I used to own, and I've had several. Can I say two? <laughs> I can only say one. One of my greatest milestones is that I owned a business called Drama Smarts for many years. And I sent teaching artists into schools to teach reading, writing, speaking, and social skills through drama. And it was such, it was a great milestone because all those kids from Drama Smarts are now adults. And when they, they call me the Drama Smarts lady, (laughs) because I worked with thousands of kids in many schools across Chicago and uh, Ohio and such. And just having a legacy like that and having young people who are now in their twenties and such to say, I remember drama smarts and I remember what it did for me. And and because of drama smarts, I'm acting now, or because of drama smarts, I'm writing now, or just any of that, or increase my confidence. That really was as a professional, as a business owner, and as a former classroom teacher, that really was a great milestone for me. Okay. The next question is about motivation and you can Mm -hmm. answer one or two ways. Mm-hmm. What motivates you or how do you motivate other people? It, people often say that I'm motivating to them, that I've inspired them and motivated them. And I think I motivate with love, Angel, and, and some tough love. I give it to my fam- my friends and colleagues. I give it to them raw and real, and but with love. And I, because I believe that you have to give it to them with love. That's the only way that people often receive what it is that you have to give. I'm honest with people and I'm always looking for ways to encourage uh, folks to be better versions of themselves and to, to strive higher and strive for more and to, and through teaching, teaching is a way in which I motivate people. What motivates me is surrounding myself with people like you, people who inspire me and motivate me. I have a new podcast, the Teray Home Show. And I talk about that. I interview people who have inspired me in some way. I was telling a colleague recently that I love the Teray Home Show and the conversations we have because when I'm interviewing people, I'm being motivated and being, and I'm learning things, being connected to people who are just amazing and pouring, pouring into me. That's just such a, a great motivation because I'm learning from these folks and, and growing as I go. I love it. So the last question is, when did you first identify with money? Oh, Lord, Angel, I am still (laughs) trying to identify with money. Okay. I am not the best. I have friends who think I am. uh, and (laughs) And I love those friends, but I'm still learning. And one of the things I will say one of my downfalls was that I, I didn't always have multiple streams of income and or I took jobs where I didn't make a lot of money. So I was always struggling. We look at it and we say, I'm not good at money. You're only making enough to get by. How can you be good at money? You can't be good at money if you only have enough money to get by. I spent a lot of years with just enough money to get by. I'm learning through my network and my associations how important multiple streams are. Because now you can't create anything from black. You can only create from abundance. You can only create from the the overflow. So I am learning to create overflow and to create businesses and create not businesses per se, but income streams that allow me to be able to have the resources so that I can prove to myself how great I am with money. Because I really am better than what I have 
shown myself over the years, but it's because I've limited myself and some of my choices that I've made in terms of how I get money. That is really interesting. I really like the way that you laid this out because I don't think people think as deeply about it. They'll give one response and they don't really give the context. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. Oh, Teray, Teray, Teray. We've had a very good discussion and I feel as though you have a lot of people reaching out from this podcast. I'll definitely link your podcast as well so people can follow as well. Thank you. And again, I appreciate you joining us today. It was awesome, Miss RMBA. Always a great conversation. Yes, always a great conversation. Um, Yes. Is there anything you would like to say um, to the, I'm like the viewers. Yeah. I really would just encourage folks to stay encouraged during these tough times, stay motivated and keep yourself around people who motivate you, who help to increase and enhance your mindset. Read as much as you can. There's so much information, materials, resources to become a better version of yourself and think about your money. Give yourself some grace and to really think about how you spend your money, but more so how you create money, because money is not something that money is something that can be created. It's not just something we earn. We can also create money. Think about the ways in which you can create money. It makes it not seem like it's so hard, but just like anything else, it can be created. That's what I want to leave them with. And I would love to connect with your listeners online, uh, through social media, through Instagram, I'm on Instagram as Lillian Eve and as Teray Holmes as well. And I would love for them to come and check out the YouTube station, which is also where we, we do our podcast interviews live. We record them. We have the video on the YouTube station. I would love to connect with them on Clubhouse. The Teray Holmes show is our podcast and that's also our show on Clubhouse. So it's been an honor and a privilege to be in this space with you today and to talk with your audience and to learn from you and to be able to teach and and share what I can with your audience as well. Thank you so much. Those of you who have been listening, all of Terry's contact information will be posted below in the description. So make sure you check her out on social media, check out her products, and of course, reach out if you are in the real estate. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with Angel online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss RMBA. That's M-I-S-R-M-B-A. Be sure to subscribe and review. Join us next time as we continue to empower you through milestones, motivation, and money.